Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Welcome to the Half a Bird Sports Show. You could have been doing anything else in the world, but you chose to ride with us, and we appreciate that. It's solo weekend, so I will take the wheel myself to navigate you through the sports landscape of the hottest topics, late-breaking news, things that make no sense, and a few things that might surprise you. As always, you can catch us on WMQG Radio Tuesdays and Saturdays at noon Eastern. So let me start off today first by expressing that the ability to co-host this show is and has always been to me a privilege and an honor to have this platform to try to have fun with expressing my views and opinions on sports and sports news. I know Jay feels the same way and we have a lot of fun doing the show. We will continue to do so and try to make the show better as he's been talking about lately. And this is never something that I've ever taken lightly because this is a platform like so many others. Any individual with a podcast, any individual who knows someone, anybody with any type of Twitter or Instagram following, anybody in the media, it's like we all have some type of a platform, an ability to reach more than just ourselves and the ability to influence people. And express how we feel about things going on in the world or things going on inside of us. So if you will recall from our Monday show, Jay and I did the best we could to use our platform in order to express our views and opinions with what is going on nationally to stand to protest in solidarity with all of our brothers and sisters across the globe with what has been happening with the true enemy underlying everything for which we are protesting, uh, which I'll get into more a little bit later. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to Monday's show, we expressed a lot of our views and opinions on what has been happening in the nation and things that we have seen and how those things, like always, intersects with sports since the infrastructure of this nation, really of the world, is all intertwined. Everything affects everything. So with what has been going on with the... Uh, police murders, everything that's been going on with the protest, everything that's been going on with COVID, um, it all intersects at some point in time, somewhere. And we try to discuss how sports affects those things and how those things affect sports on the show, because that's the basis of what we are. We're a sports show. We seek to entertain, at times inform, at times to try to stimulate thought when it comes to sports but part of what we've tried to do lately is try to stimulate social and political thought uh, as it pertains to what what is going on now and as it pertains to how what we do today is going to affect the future not of just this country but the future of the world so this is a, a watershed moment as they say and very few of these happen to where time divides history into two parts before this and after this so right now we want to push 
history. We want to push the present into the future in a much better direction than what we have had to live with over these last decades, over these last centuries, and how the historic degradating forces of racism and institutional racism have affected people of color and especially my people, black people. So that's part of what I'm going to get into today. I do have some sports stuff later on that I hope is entertaining and engaging, but I want to go back to what is still on my mind, what is still happening, what is still in the news and what is still on the hearts and minds of the people of this nation you know, many of which care, many of which are in tune with what is going on. And when the majority of this started happening, when the protest really began to take shape and began to sort of beautifully occur throughout the world and to beautifully include more non-black or non-people of color in these protests able to stand up with a loud and affirmative voice against the forces of what I call police murder. Now, I don't know anybody who really really calls it that. That's what it is. We talk about police brutality, and you know that's an adequate name for it as well, but I call it police murder because more particularly, that's what we're talking about as it pertains to George Floyd or as it pertains to Breonna Taylor or as it pertains to I mean, to me, even Ahmaud Arbery, even though that wasn't a police shooting, is still uh, that's still a murder. And it's still one that has been a part of what has truly motivated a lot of people to wake up and a lot of us to band together and to say with one unified voice that enough is enough. No justice, no peace. This will not continue from this point forward. We've had enough of it. And what I've sat back and watched is I paid a lot of attention to the media. And it's really important to do that because the media does I guess has such a tremendous influence on how perceptions and narratives are shaped. And therefore media has a very important, I guess, influencing aspect over which way history is going to be written and which way history is going to be remembered. So what I've wanted to see from the media is I've wanted to see if the media would stick to what is really at hand here, um, or at least a major portion of what is at hand here. And that is uh, police murder, as I've talked about with especially what has happened with George Floyd and, you know, the people that I've mentioned before and so many who I haven't mentioned. And what I've been worried about is would the media used or resort to some of their old tactics, the old sleight of hand, political sleight of hand that I've seen in the media, which is to take a serious issue, something that needs to be changed and find a way like a magician to get your attention in the other direction, to use misdirection, to get your focus off of that. And in part, that's somewhat what I've seen in the media. I've seen the media do some really good things, and I've paid a lot of attention to not just CNN. That's the news station that I watch mostly, but I've watched MSNBC. I've watched some of Fox News. I've wanted to see how individuals on the left, individuals on the right, and individuals in the media, I'm sorry, in the middle of the media, have treated this. And part of what I've seen is that deflection, is that misdirection, where these news outlets have focused more on the looting and more on the rioting and not on what police have been doing to communities of color for decades. And especially to take attention off of that is to take attention off of what is truly given birth to the climate within which police murder can occur, which is institutional racism. Now, when people say systemic racism, they pretty much mean the same thing. And I'm perfectly fine with that. But I like the term institutional racism because I guess to me, the definition is something to the effect of a system of 
ingrained policies that seek to maintain a dominant racial hierarchy, basically. And when you talk about institutions, you talk about the very infrastructure that governs human life on this country and pretty much on this planet. So when you talk about infrastructure, you talk about schools, you talk about banks, you talk about healthcare, you talk about law enforcement, you talk about voting rights, you talk about the correctional system. And each one of these institutions within this American infrastructure has been infected by the disease of institutional racism. So I like using that term institutional rather than systemic when it comes to this, when it comes to a system that is sought to preserve white supremacy. And I think that uh, that's important because now it stands as, I guess you could say, a bit of a modern covert form of Jim Crow. And that's exactly what we're trying to fight. And the most prescient arm of that in terms of what has inspired these protests is what has been happening with police murders. How now these have we've been because of smartphones and phones capable of video like this stuff has been going on in, the, in our community for, you know, for decades. Some would even say centuries based on what version of the police you're talking about. But now it's being filmed. Now people are able to see the harsh reality of what has been going on in our community to so many other nameless, faceless individuals whose victimization was not caught on some type of camera. It should not have had to come to this. It should not have had to continue on beyond so many people, beyond Michael Brown, beyond Eric Garner, beyond Philando Castile, beyond Trayvon Martin, it should not have gone this far, but it has. And this is where we've come to. So I think that with what the media is doing, with a lot of what the media is doing, not completely, but part of what I see is deflecting attention from that. I understand that there is a case to be made that rioting and looting isn't the best way to institute the type of change that is needed. Some would argue that it is. And that's perfectly fine. But to debate that totally misses what is truly in need of being discussed here, which is police murder, which is so many other things that I've just mentioned in that focusing on riot or looting or the merits of such can take a lot of the attention away from where it needs to be. And that's a big part of what the media does, because problems don't get fixed unless you're able to direct your complete and undivided attention on what that is, because the more you look at something, the more you can see what's wrong. The more you can figure out what needs to be done, the more you can see how this is going to affect the future. That's actually, you know, I'm a therapist by trade. That's the basis of therapy is to go in there and be able to look at yourself, to look at nothing but yourself, to figure out how you got to this point, to figure out what's wrong, to look at the mirror of what you truly are and decide what needs to be changed. But you can't do that in society or in therapy if you continue to look the other way and dissuade your attention from where it needs to be. So, I, you know, I say with that, that I'm very proud of I'm proud of the people. I'm proud of many of our white brothers and sisters who have finally joined in the fight in some fashion. And joining obviously is not enough. It's something. It's not enough. Tweets are not enough. Even protests are not enough. Those are all very important first steps. But the primary step, the giant leap that we're needing is for everyone to be able to acknowledge what the evil elephant in the room truly is, what the tree upon which these racist, bigoted, and systemic branches grow from, and that is institutional racism. And I think that eventually we're getting there. I think that 
you know, if you, after you take one first step, just like a baby, you take another, you take another and you become more comfortable with it. You become more used to it and you're able to ultimately run and gain more ground. So that's exactly where we're going. So I think that this could be an important first step in being able to dismantle institutional racism. I want to be a part of that. I know so many of you want to be a part of that. So whatever you can do, whoever you hold influence on, if you know a child, if you have a platform on social media, if you host a podcast, if you protest, whatever it is, whatever you're able to do, whatever you feel comfortable doing, every little bit helps because eventually it's going to get us to that point where we need to be. It may not be in our lifetime. Like MLK said, I may not get there with you. We may not. It may take a generation. It may take two generations after us to where we're where we're gone. But our grandchildren, our grandchildren's grandchildren are building upon what it is we're able to do now, just like we've been able to build upon what our ancestors has, have done from the time that we got here as black people. So that's what I want to see. And that's what I think happening is and it's going to be a fight that's going to take all of us, you know, worldwide in order to correct what has been going on in not only American society, but societies abroad for centuries. But we still have far to go because as I transition into sports and I bring sports into this, what I see this week is that, you know, we still have far to go. We have not made it. These first steps are wonderful, but we have many more steps that we need to take. So case in point, the story that came out earlier this week where the head coach, second year head coach of the Denver Broncos, Vic Fangio, came out and spoke about what I guess we can characterize as his perception or his experiences as it pertains to race or racism or discrimination in the NFL to where he basically said that he believed racism and discrimination were not prevalent in the NFL. He says that I think this is him talking. He says, I think our problems in the NFL along those lines are minimal. We're a league of meritocracy. You earn what you get. You get what you earn. I don't see racism at all in the NFL at all. I don't see discrimination in the NFL. We all live together, joined as one for one common goal, and we all intermingle and mix tremendously. If society reflected an NFL team, we'd all be great. And when I read this quote, besides what was obviously wrong with it and made it such an overall fallacy, I already knew what was going to happen. I knew that it was going to be within a day or two based on the public backlash based upon the PR nightmare and based upon individuals obviously more I guess more woke than he is when it comes to understanding that even the NFL is not free from the stain of systemic racism which should honestly really be obvious to him as a 61 year old male but we all have blind spots these are his I knew that he was going to have to come out with an apology and he did on Wednesday which I believe was the very next day where he said um, that his remarks about racism and discrimination in the NFL were wrong and apologized, saying I should have been more clear and I am sorry. After reflecting on my comments yesterday and listening to players this morning, I realized what I said regarding racism and discrimination in the NFL was wrong. And he goes on to say more of the things that you would expect someone to say when they have had to issue an apology based on being just uninformed or willfully ignorant when it comes to racism and discrimination in the NFL, something that the players and many coaches have talked about for years. So I don't know how he missed this. So you're talking about a league with how many black GMs? Zero. You're talking about a league where, I mean, how many, well, I won't say that this, I'm sorry, not zero black GMs. There's at least one or two, which is bad enough in terms of black, in terms of black owners in the NFL. How many? I don't know any zero in terms of, how Colin Kaepernick in 2016 was treated when he 
inspired other individuals in the NFL and around the world to kneel before the flag while the national anthem played in order to bring attention to what we are talking about today, police murder. Vic Fangio was coaching in the league. He's been coaching in the league for years, I think even decades. He's been a longtime defensive coordinator, one of the best in the NFL. I don't see how he missed it then. Uh, Racism, discrimination in the NFL. When you're Lamar Jackson and team representatives at the NFL Combine tell you that you need to take some reps at wide receiver and run the 40 because essentially that's code for you're a wide receiver. You're not a quarterback, which is also code for – You don't have the game management, the intelligence, or the ability to be an NFL quarterback. What did Lamar Jackson and his mama say? Hell no. She said, my son is not a wide receiver. He's a quarterback. And where are we at? What, two years later, he's the MVP of the NFL. So for Vic Fangio, how he missed that, how he missed a lot of the things that his very own players could have told him had he decided to talk to them first before he released this type of statement. And I don't know exactly if he, uh, where he was interviewing with, he was most likely asked the question, but either way, he should have been more informed about this. He has no excuse. And since I knew the apology was coming, usually if I know an apology is coming from someone who knowingly made an error on purpose, then that tends to be an apology I don't initially accept. And to date, I don't accept Vic Fangio's apology, apology, even though I wasn't disappointed in him. I was not. He's a 61 year old male. Um, I expect certain things of his demographic. Uh, I'm not, I, I'll say I'm not disappointed by certain things from his demographic, and I'm not disappointed with him, even though he missed the statistics in the NFL, even though he missed how black coaches are treated. If you get a job, it takes a miracle. If you get a job and lose that job, it takes a miracle as a black head coach for you to get another one. Same thing with black GMs. There are so very few of them and things that have, been ha- that have happened with his players, not only just in the NFL, even if, even if his players on the Broncos or players that he's coached before couldn't give him one single example of racism or discrimination that they have faced in the NFL, then I'm willing to bet you that they could talk about how they have faced that in their own life. So, I mean, even if he were right about the NFL, still, his comments um, I mean, ultimately would be seen in error, and they have. So I'm not disappointed with him. Who I was disappointed with? who I expected more from like a lot of you and also whose apology I refuse to accept for even more harsh reasons than the apology of Vic Fangio that I refuse to accept is that of none other than the All-American quarterback of quarterbacks, Drew Brees. Uh, Same thing. Earlier this week, had an interview on Yahoo Finance. He was, I did go and look at early portions of the interview because I wanted to see if he volunteered the comments that he made in and of his own volition or if he was asked a question and he was asked a question. And to me, it's kind of ironic that he's on Yahoo Finance and he says these comments, with, which I'm about to read portions of to you as well as portions of his apology, because it seems like the economics or the finances were so involved in what he had to say. Because if he's interviewing on Yahoo Finance, then part of what they're talking about is money. They're talking about branding. They're talking about financing. And Drew Brees is a brand. He is now and he will be after he walks away from the game. Hell, he's already got a job in a primetime broadcast booth for when he leaves, something that I've never seen you know, a black NFL player get, but that's neither here nor there. It's not the point. But the point is, 
what he said in this interview and what he did afterwards, I think, were definitely economic decisions or communicating to whom he sees as his economic base. So in speaking with Yahoo Finance earlier this week, he was asked a question about uh, I guess it was, and it was a really good question in regards to the protests that occurred in 2016 and beyond that were inspired by Colin Kaepernick because of what we're dealing with now with police murder, um, even more so in the national forefront. Does he see kneeling occurring again in, in the NFL this season? And what Bree said was that in part, in part, I will never agree with anyone disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. Let me just tell what I see or what I feel when the national anthem is played. Uh, Breeze goes on to talk about his two grandfathers who served in World War II, one in the Army, one in the Marines. And he talks about that every time he stands with his hand over his heart looking at the flag, he thinks about them. In many cases, it brings him to tears, um, not just those in the military, but for those throughout the civil rights movement in the 60s, etc. So when I talked earlier about deflecting, about making the issue about something that it was never meant to be made about, and that was this sort, sort of him unearthing this same type of misdirection, the same type of fallacious argument that Colin Kaepernick disrespected the flag by kneeling, which is funny because first he was sitting down. This is really before even anybody noticed, but first he was sitting down and then he had a conversation with Green Beret, who served our country, Nate Boyer, who said you sitting for the national anthem is or can be seen as disrespect. It is more respectful. This is Green Beret talking. It's more respectful for you to kneel while the while the anthem is played. And that's exactly what Colin Kaepernick did from that point forward and was joined by many other NFL players. So it was never about disrespecting the flag. It was about calling the flag. To, it was about getting the flag to look at itself, getting the flag represents the country. It's about getting the country to look at an infection that it has, something that needs to be clean, something that needs to that requires deep surgery. This is what he was trying to get people's attention to. And had they listened to him, had the right people, the people in power listened to him back then, then after there would it would have prevented so many murders that we've seen and had to live with ever since then. So Breeze, after four years, as smart as he is and as involved as he has been in the community of New Orleans and Louisiana and you know and the country. For him to miss this is inexcusable. For him to miss this is incredibly disappointing. And for him to miss this shows me, just like Vic Fangio, that we still have far to go. We still have very far to go. No matter how many millions of white brothers and sisters are now at least verbally joining the fight, we have so much further to go. So I was disappointed by that. So as I saw and as I expected with the apology of Vic Fangio, I saw and expected the exact same thing with Drew Brees. And this apology disappointed me for a lot of reasons. So it was funny. I was um, I was approached today by a really good friend of mine, uh, you know, one of one of my white brothers. And he told me about if I had read or if I had seen Drew Brees's apology, I said that I hadn't, but that I had expected him to issue an apology just based off of the swift, strong, intelligent and confrontational and honest feedback that he got just from players within his own league and on his own team some of them contain expletives you can look them up yourself but to me every single one of them were right on point he deserved all of it so I knew that when I saw that he was going to be in a PR crisis and you know today Rob Parker released an article uh the headline was Drew Brees hasn't seen the light he's just a millionaire with the PR crisis so after my friend of mine told me about this apology. I went and looked it up 
And the first thing I was disappointed with was that it was an Instagram apology. If what you said or what you did was in public in the sense of your face was in front of a camera or you were doing an interview or you were doing a a conference, I want your apology to be delivered in the exact same format. So, Drew Brees, I wanted to see your face. I wanted to be able to look into your eyes to gauge just how sincere this apology was, if you truly meant it from your heart or if this was just you know, your way of fixing this damage that you've caused to your own reputation and you have damaged your reputation. You've tarnished it after all the work that you've done to say this in just a few words. You have tarnished years of work that you have done. People now are questioning your, you know, your moral values. They're questioning whether or not you are inept morally. If culturally they can res- they can respect you, if culturally they can depend on you in what we're dealing with right now, you have sullied and dismembered a lot of the respect that you had from your reputation. So in his apology, he says this after consulting with some of his vocal critics and some of his own teammates, such as Cam Jordan and Malcolm Jenkins. I'll read you portions of it. He says, I would like to apologize to my friends, teammates, the city of New Orleans, the black community, NFL community and anyone I hurt with my comments yesterday. In an attempt to talk about respect, unity, and solidarity centered around the American flag and the national anthem, I made comments that were insensitive and completely missed the mark on the issues we are facing right now as a country. They lacked awareness and any type of compassion or empathy, which is specific to what a moral psychopath is, someone who has no compassion, sympathy, or empathy. And that's what he's admitting that he was when he initially did this interview. He says, I stand in I stand with the black community in the fight against systemic racial injustice and police brutality and support the creation of real policy change that will make a difference. And he says, I've always been an ally, never an enemy, which is questionable. Now, I'm sick about the way my comments were perceived yesterday perceived, but I take full responsibility and accountability for that. I'm very sorry. And I ask for your forgiveness. Um, I think it was Rick Ross. He had an album. I think the title of it was mixtape says, God, forgive God forgives. I don't. So as a Christian myself, I know I am commanded by my Lord and Savior to forgive. But on this, I don't believe, at least right now, that I can forgive Drew Brees either, because, as I said earlier, I know Brees. I know for a fact Brees is way too smart for this, which means that if he's way too smart to make these comments, knowing what would happen, then that means to me that he meant it, that he wanted to say this. He was speaking to a specific, we'll say, base a specific consumer base and that is why he made these comments addressing them and then the apology which he knew he was going to have to craft which he may have already began crafting that night um was to now his the people of color to the community that he is so offended with his um you know with the things that he said with the terrible things that he said and his terrible attempt to deflect away from real issues. So I don't believe this. I believe this apology is a prepackaged apology. I don't think it is sincere. I think that he 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 gets in front of a camera and says things he should not have said, or maybe he should have said them if that's how he truly feels. But then he issues his apology on Instagram. I don't buy that. I don't accept that. I want to see your face. If you offend in public, you need to apologize in public. That's what I, that's what I believe. And now what he's done also is he's put many of the other white NFL quarterbacks who are now speaking out against systemic racism. And I do appreciate that he used that term, but still I don't accept his apology, Drew Brees. He's put other white NFL quarterbacks in a really, really tough spot because think about this. If you spoke out on the police murders 
that have occurred recently and on the protests that are going on in response to that and other issues that have disproportionately affected the black community or people of color or affected us at all, then, and these are the reasons why Colin Kaepernick kneeled, then what a quarterback like Joe Burrow is doing is he is respecting, agreeing with, and in support of Colin Kaepernick and other NFL players kneeling. Because if they kneel for what you're speaking out about, which is police murder, police brutality, then you are for them. So then if Breeze comes out and he's against kneeling and he is against this manner of protesting police brutality and police murder, something that you, Joe Burrow, and you, Tom Brady, have applauded people for speaking out against and you have joined in the fight, then you have to stand against Drew Breeze because he stands against what you just championed, what you just stood in support of. And outside of Aaron Rodgers, much respect to him and his Packers teammates and coaches, I've not seen any other quarterback who came out for the cause recently, quote-unquote, come out against Drew Brees. So that right there is an indication of whether or not they are truly for it or truly against it if what they said in support of what's been going on is just window shopping and it's just what they're doing for their brand. Um. If that's why they were doing it, then they won't come out against Drew Brees. If they truly mean it and they're willing to go against one of the greatest quarterbacks in the NFL with all types of NFL records, one of the elder statesmen of the league, one of the most loved and respected NFL players in the history of the game, if they don't come out against him, if they don't have the balls to do it, then they're not really for the cause and we cannot depend on you. You're useless. We don't need you for this. Go play football. Thank you for playing. So that's what I'm looking for. Like I said, hats off to Aaron Rodgers. He came out against him. And I haven't really been on Instagram or Twitter all day as I've been preparing for the show. So other quarterbacks or other players who've come out in support of the cause who need to come out against Drew Brees, whether they accept his apology or not, that's on them. But I need to hear more voices like Joe Burrow and Tom Brady coming out against Drew Brees. If not, then I think that that tells me where you truly stand and you are standing in the way of true progress by being a poser. So those are my thoughts on that. And I know that we're going to have more thoughts on the show. This is going to continue, and we should. This is part of what our platform is, part of what Jay and I can do in order to just do what we can to help, in order to do what we can to not only speak truth and speak truth to power, as Cornell West always talks about, but you know, to be, to be compassionate, to be empathic, and to not make it seem as though these things aren't existing or that these things are more important than sports because what's going on right now is a hundred times over more important than sports and us discussing it on the show. It may not be as fun. I know it's not as entertaining as it is just to talk about pure sports, but it's something that needs to be done. And when I look back on these shows, 15, 20, 25 years from now, or whenever I'm gone, whenever that is, and people look back on these shows and hear my voice, I want to know that I did the right thing. I want to know that I did my part to stand in solidarity with all of my brothers and sisters, regardless of race or color or religion, who stood opposed to this and who decided to finally do something, who were inspired and who will not let George Floyd and so many other individuals that he represents, we will not let them have died for nothing. That's what I want. So I appreciate y'all listening to that. I meant I meant for that to go 20 minutes and ended up going 30. So again, my apologies. But I think that was needed, necessary, had to get it off my chest. I feel good about it. I feel better. And I hope that somewhere, somehow, that helps somebody. So let's keep going. Now, also, amidst all of this was the probably the biggest news of the of the week outside of what I just talked about. And that is finally, 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 the decision. The vote by the NBA Board of Governors to approve a 22-team format 
to finish the 2019-2020 regular season. It's been approved. It will be instituted. And this is how the NBA is going to be brought back in order to complete the season and give us what we need. I mean, despite everything that has happened this year, despite how crappy of a year this has already been, and despite how difficult it has been in sports, we finally are going to have a champion. We're going to get a finish to the regular season in the playoffs. So here are this, the specifics, at least uh, insofar as I understand them, that I can give you right now. So, like I said, it's going to be 22 teams. 16 teams are already in, I guess you could say, a playoff position. You have 13 teams from the West, nine teams from the East. I, I guess essentially the 16 best records overall in the NBA are, at least to my understanding, maybe a shoe in. I'm not sure. Uh, the vote passed 29 to 1, except for the Portland Trailblazers for whatever reason. Um, so what's going to happen is there are going to be eight regular season seeding games. I'm not exactly sure if that is all 22 teams or if that's the bottom six who are still fighting for a playoff spot. Uh, there will basically be five to six games a day. So I guess that's going to be well, that's going to have to cause a new schedule to be created since the there are going to be eight teams that aren't going to be participating in this, such as this see the New York Knicks. So you've seen the last of them for this season. We look forward to seeing them later on this year. So you have six teams within six games of the eighth spot, uh, five in the West, one in the East. You have the Pelicans, the Blazers, the Spurs, the Kings, the Suns, and the Wizards. And what I guess the bottom six are going to do, yeah, they're going to be fighting for that eighth spot. And there is this type of sort of uh, around – a bit of a, I don't think it's a round robin. It's more of a play-in tournament, such as what is done in the World Cup, where a team has to win two games against the same team in some type of format in order to be able to advance and be a part of the playoffs. I'm not exactly sure. So hopefully when we're on the show on Monday, I've had enough time to look at it. Uh, Jay's looked at it as well. He probably has a better grasp on this and what's going to go on than I do in order to, I guess, better explain what's going to go on with these final six teams. So training camps... For the NBA, are going to open July. They're going to be July 9th through July 11th. Uh, I know that individual, individual uh, playoff facilities, uh, individual playoff facilities, individual practice facilities for these teams have been open to my knowledge. So they're still going to be getting in individual workouts, and they may start to uh, ramp that up as well. The closer we get to the July 9th date for those teams who are going to play, so the season slash playoffs will begin July 31st and occur at the latest through October 12th. So that is the format, but wait a minute. July 31st through October the 12th. So that means that all of September and potentially half of October could be, we could be seeing NBA game, NBA playoff games. So anybody notice what is typically going on and what we're typically excited for in September and October that would overlap with the end of this reformatted NBA season. If you say college football, yes, you are correct. College football, which we all know and love, uh, is going to be obviously going on during that time since they generally start, what, early August, uh, first week in September, sorry, late August, first week in September. But what else is usually going on in September and October? What, I mean, what could that be? I, I, can't, I can't quite think of what it is. Oh, the NFL. The NFL. So I, th so the NBA, when you think about it, they've got a lot of balls to think that with this reformatted season, 
they can challenge and infringe upon the NFL's calendar real estate because the NFL and college football own September and October, even more so than what is usually the baseball playoffs that go on in September and conclude in October. And I think for one, I guess based upon the timeline and the formats that they've come up with, this is adequate, it's doable, but they did this when they didn't have to. If they had had an adequate plan like this earlier and sought to institute it earlier to where maybe you're using the real estate in July and August, like Jay and I talked about and proposed for their playoffs. So that way, even if you have to go into September for a week or two, you don't go beyond that. And then you hand it over to the NFL and then you come back in what will now be December, which I think that the plan is to come back December 1st. And in between the end of this reformatted season and December 1st, you're going to have the draft. You're going to have free agency. You're going to have all that stuff that we, you know, know and love as much as we do NBA basketball actually on the court. So they got a lot of balls to challenge the NFL real estate. And I know that they normally do because they generally start what late October, early November, but this is, this is different. This is their attempt to eat up the NFL when the NFL is at its most, to me, one of the most exciting and one of the, probably the highest, I guess, advertising rating times for the NFL is at the very beginning because we've been without it for by that time seven or eight months that we're just itching to get it back and when we get it back we don't want to let go of it so for the fans we're going to win because you're going to have the nba the nfl if the mlb could get their heads out of their butts you're going to have them and then you're going to have maybe even the nhl all these other sports trying to because of COVID 19 get back a lot of the real estate and the revenue that they lost because of having to shut it down So there's going to be sports going on every night. But the problem is, no matter what the NBA does, you're not going to take real estate from the NFL because the NFL owns Sunday. The NFL owns Monday. The NFL now owns Thursday. College football owns Saturday. So for the NBA, that leaves you with Tuesday, Wednesday, and maybe even Friday, depending upon what a high school sports decides to do in order to you know, get real estate in order to get ratings, in order to get eyeballs, because I'm sorry, if it's a choice between Joe Burrow's first game and watching Damian Lillard, I'm watching Joe Burrow. I mean, I love Damian Lillard, you know what I'm saying? Playoffs, the bye-bye wave, all that. I love that, but I mean, I'm not watching him over the NFL. I'm just not doing it. I might watch LeBron over the NFL or Kawhi or Giannis, because that's what it's going to come down to. But outside of that, you're not taking advertising you're not taking advertising revenue you're not, you're not taking ratings from the nfl so that's going to be a, a tough moment for the nba i'm happy that they're at least going to finish their season they're probably willing to lose a little bit in order to win in the long run and that's fine but um that's that's going to be tough i'm going to be interested to see how that turns out for them so yeah fans we're going to win because this could be the greatest five months of sports to close out a year that we have ever seen so we'll enjoy it but I worry about how this might affect the health of the NBA. But I guess what they're doing now is better than doing nothing at all and just shutting the season down. So happy about that. I have my disagreements and criticism with the way things were done by Adam Silver, um, especially as it pertains to time. But, I mean, we got to this point. Here we are, so we got to make the best of it. But I am. I'm glad they're coming back. Glad they're coming back. So I appreciate you listening, Half a Bird Sports Show, to the production team, Mike, Bob, and Wendy. Thank you for holding it down. To my co-host, Jay, always bringing the fire. Appreciate that. 
Uh, we're going to be back early next week with another show, giving you the latest and greatest in sports and sports news, talking more about what is happening nationally and talking more about what we can all do in order to help make things better and do our part, not just for the present, but for the future. Uh, to Ms. Jackson, thank you for listening to the show. To Florence Nightingale, to my nephews, to Rob and Bub. Uh, <laughs> Rob and Bub. To Tarod and Bub, thank you. I'm very tired right now. Uh, appreciate that so that has been the half a bird sports show love yourself love somebody if you protest do the best you can to protest peacefully take care of yourself take care of your family if you go out wear a mask wash your hands stay six feet apart as much as possible please be careful this has been the half a bird sports show peace Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.